the Spiritual Brew Pub Podcast. We'll help you navigate spiritually after or during a belief shift, deconstruction, or crisis of faith. Not to try to convert you to a particular destination, but give you the resources you need to evaluate your future belief or unbelief and help you follow the religious historical evidence wherever it leads. I'm your host, Michael Camp, a recovering conservative evangelical, the operative word being recovering, sharing my journey in helping others rebuild faith or a reasoned philosophy of life. So grab your brew of choice and learn how fact-based history helps us both critique and rethink faith. Why do we call it a brew pub? Because we like to hang out in them, at least metaphorically. A pub is a great place to let your hair down, share your true thoughts about your journey, and discuss things with an open mind in a non-judgmental environment. Welcome, everyone, to the Spiritual Brew Pub Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Camp, and today we have a very special guest, Julie Ann Smith. Julie Ann is a blogger, an insightful exposer of church abuse, and she runs the Spiritual Sounding Board website. Julie Ann, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Michael. Great to be here. Great. Uh, I want to start by saying I really like your tagline uh, on your website and blog, Finding Resolve Amidst the dis- Dissonance of Churchianity. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, if for, if for those who aren't familiar with that term, churchianity is when Christians, uh, I'd say, put focus on protecting the church institution or controlling members in the church rather than just loving people. And your story, uh, Julianne, that we're going to get into includes something about, um, well, I would call it maybe even the epitome of church abuse. Did you really get sued by your pastor? <laughs> yep, I sure, I sure did. <laughs> Okay. Yep, it's 2012. Uh-huh. 2012. Okay, we're going to get into that in a little while here. But um, uh, before um, I delve into some questions, I want to tee up our conversation and um, talk a little bit about what we have in common and why I think your work is so important. Uh, we connected a few years ago, um, and being a victim of religious abuse myself, uh, I noticed you uh, found your blog. I noticed you as a fellow exposer of spiritual abuse and how sharing how prevalent it is. And uh, you had some blog posts about Sovereign Grace Ministries. And mm-hmm. uh, that is a denomination that uh, covered up sexual abuse in their churches and mistreated victims. And uh, perhaps you might talk about that a little bit later. But I was a member of that denomination in the 80s all the way up through I had association through the mid 90s they were called people of destiny back then and shouldn't that uh, name have uh, given you a clue (laughs) yeah right it should have right (laughs) so it's a it's a long story but I saw abuse way back in the 80s so I mean I saw the Mm -hmm. roots of it so I wasn't really surprised also we we a few years ago we got on the phone together and we talked about Mars Hill Church in Seattle, Mm -hmm. where I live, and Mark Driscoll, and how he was uh, basically a bully pastor, I would say, abusive, arrogant, very controlling, Mm 
Mm-hmm. And um, I think I, I uh, you know, we talked about that and I really resonated with what with your heart to help people who have been abused by by such examples. And what I really like about your website is that um, it exposes abuse and it helps heal people and and just to help people get a background um, from both of our experiences uh, the evangelical church, and there's always exceptions. I mean, there's some, there's some good churches out there, sure. but a lot of them have become a culture of like cultish spiritual control. I would say church mm-hmm. leaders use um, uh, supposed authority to program members to embrace a set of doctrines and behavior codes uh, right. based on very legalistic views of the Bible. Um, for example, um, and they have teaching and tactics that really harm people psychologically, spiritually. And when they cover up spirit, sexual abuse, it's, it's harmful sexually, too. So mm. um, uh, these tactics are like uh, fear mongering and, and, you know, uh, putting fear in people's minds about their spiritual condition, uh, enforcing unquestioning acceptance of their interpretation of Christianity and the Bible, etc., shaming and shunning people who don't conform and uh, protecting the reputation of the church more than the victims of abuse, etc. So it's, it's kind of a, uh, a phenomenon that harms people, produces pain and fear and feelings of being trapped, very un, not unlike the effects of physical abuse. It's just a spiritual and emotional realm. So, mm-hmm. well, enough of my rab- rambling. Let's get to your story, uh, how you were... Uh, abuse in this conservative evangelical church. Tell us about that. Is it really true? How did it happen that a pastor actually slapped a lawsuit uh, on you? Well, um, we were in a church for two years. Um, It had certain aspects that uh, uh, some of us, a group of us actually joined this church around the same time. We were leaving one church that we thought had issues and found this church. And interestingly enough, when we arrived at the church, this guy had evidently um, the same kinds of issues we had with certain teachings. And so, you know, his, his ears were really perked to what we had to say. And, um, you know, the people in our group were really big on evangelism. Well, interestingly enough, he was big on evangelism. The people in our group were um, against emergent church, emergent church leaders. And uh, coincidentally, this pastor um, was also, in fact, he started a new series. Oh, I forgot to say he started a new evangelism. um, What what do you call it? A a, a, program um, or something. Yeah, yeah, a program. And so, you know, now looking back, I'm realizing, the dude was love bombing. And what I mean by that, presenting things, enticing topics or programs or whatever to, to pull us into his church, make us want to be there. Um, Now I think it was intentional. He wanted us there. And so when he heard that we were into evangelism, Oh yeah, I am. He was so into evangelism when he heard about the emergent step. Oh, definitely. Let's start a series on it. And that made it seem like he was in complete agreement with, 
with our group. And of course it just draws you to him. And right. he was, he was a charismatic um, man, very likable, approachable, um, friendly. Um, what happened along the way was I noticed so much emphasis on sin and depravity. Um, and it seemed to me that he had forgotten that Jesus had died for our sins and had resurrected. And um, so we didn't hear much about Jesus. We didn't hear much about grace. And it just troubled me. My, my dear friend who was there um, week after week, she would be in tears saying, I don't know if I'm saved or not. I just don't know if I'm saved or not. And I, I just, it just made me upset because of the emotional turmoil she was subjecting to herself. Um, but it was based on that kind of fear mongering and um, you could never measure up that kind of thing. Right. So it was really, um, I just saw people crash emotionally and spiritually. Um, there were also incidences with our children, actually our teens. Uh, if, if a teen uh, got involved sexually um, and got caught, um, he would, the teen would get a four hour lecture from the pastor uh, there would be a whole month, a series yeah. of, of uh, sermons or, or teachings on sexual purity and sexual immorality. And it was just like hammering these kids, you know, all the ones who didn't do anything were being, being punished uh, because of the one. And right. it was causing so much anger. And, um, you know, it just was very heavy. Yeah. Um, church discipline it sounds yeah like. yeah so eventually um one thing led to another and, and i saw that you know it just was unhealthy and i um made up my mind i i needed to go but my husband wasn't ready to go yet um and my friend who was on staff there um he actually told my husband you need to listen to her because she's she's right and wow. because he had uncovered the same things and yeah. um so what's weird in this kind of environment is that you don't really want to talk about the pastor you know it's you just that's not looked upon highly and so you kind you you really suck it up and keep things private uh, a lot. So um, because you know, if it gets out, you've had it, um, you're going to get in trouble somehow. Very common. Right. So um, eventually what happened was this person that was on staff, our, our close friend, um, they were going to pull the first Timothy five. Is it, um, you know, bringing elders to confront and oh, right. okay. and um, the pastor got wind of that and fired him pre preemptively. <laughs> you can't do that. I fire you. I know exactly. Mark and that too. <laughs> right. So that of course created all kinds of um, chaos, and a, a big group left. Then we didn't leave. Then um, even I personally wanted to, but we. I decided, you know. I, I really want my husband to be on board with this um, on his own, not 
because of my influence. So, but we both did have a lot of questions. So we had many, uh, I think, what was it? I can't remember, several hours worth of meetings with pastor and elders. Um, and then at one of those meetings, my husband was able to see the pastor, um, this anger that we had never seen before. Oh. And I think that's what made up his mind. <clears throat> but okay. several years after that, I had come to the realization that so many of the teens who were now young adults were acting out sexually in really um, exaggerated ways. Not, you know, teens often do that. Um, but this was, they were, <laughs> this was above and beyond what I would consider normal acting out. Yeah. And also uh, most of, a, a big percentage of them had abandoned their faith. And I had never seen that before. And, you know, I've been a long time Christian and that concerned me deeply. My own uh, daughter left her faith as well from that church. So, you know, that had hit me personally, but also looking at the other families where adult kids were um, leaving their faith and turning their back on, on the ways that their parents have raised them and, these were great families. A lot of them were just really solid families. And the, these kids were just, nope, don't want to have anything to do with it. And it just struck me that it, this was not about the family. This was about the spiritual influence, the negative authoritarian um, bullying. Backlash. Uh, right. Backlash. Yeah. By, by the pastor. Right. And uh, so what happened was I, I just didn't want this to happen to any other family. And so I left a negative Google review. Um, no, normally you think that Google is going to keep the negative reviews, but for some strange reason, my negative reviews uh, review was removed. And, you know, the first time it happened, I was like, huh, <laughs> yeah. what just, what just happened there? <laughs> so I did another one. And then it got removed. Um, sometimes I would um, add to my review because I was at that time I was learning about spiritual abuse and um, really gaining an understanding of what we went through. And it was like, oh, yeah, let me add that to the review. So I would edit my review. What would happen was when you do an edit on a Google review, it it jumps it up to the top, <laughs> which, hey, that that's nice. That was fine for me. I don't mind having mine at the top and let everybody read mine first. <laughs> so, so was this review uh, connected to the church? Oh, I'm, yes, a church review, uh, the review oh. of the church that we had attended, uh, right? Nice. I okay. wanted to warn people about going so you named the church and, and everything. and Oh, so, yeah. So I uh, looked up um, Beaverton Grace Bible Church. Okay. And, oh, it's Beaverton. And, yes. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> you know so, where Beaverton is? <laughs> well, now I do my, where I work in my day job, They move, we move the headquarters to Beaverton now. Oh, well, <laughs> now how about that? Yeah. <laughs> I so, see. Okay. So anyway, yeah, when you look up Google um, and there's any kind of business, they have a, a place where you can review a business. So I, <laughs> I reviewed the church. I yeah. See. Okay. So when I edited it, um, it popped to the top. It, re, it moved it from down below to the top. Yeah. And then what would happen is church people 
would write positive reviews <laughs> and bump mine down so it would nice. go on the next page. Nice. <laughs> and then I would read something more about spiritual abuse. And I was like, wait, this needs to go on there too. And so, you know, I probably looked like I was intentionally trying to bump it up to the top. But in, in actuality, I was learning so much and I was realizing, no, this, this is so important. I need people to understand that this is what's good, happening at that church and I don't want anything, uh, anybody to have to experience right, what we exactly. experienced. So, so what then, then what was, he, he must have uh, been behind this and, and, yeah. then, and then he instituted something. What did he, did he come right out with a lawsuit or did he try something else first? Well, he said uh, something on a review um, in his response to me. So he, he was reviewing me in his response on Google, if you can imagine that. Okay. Yeah, it was kind of it was kind of funny. Um, but he said something like uh, he had filed something with the um, Washington County something or other, and you know it, he implied that he was suing me. <laughs> I kind of rolled my eyes and it's like whatever, Chuck. <laughs> yeah. um, but sure enough, I uh, came home from my daughter's volleyball practice and was told that um, a server had brought the lawsuit. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. 500,000 lawsuit dollar lawsuit. Yeah. Oh, you're kidding. That's incredible. Yep. Did, did he, you have to end up going to court or what happened? Oh yeah. Um, you have to reply um, or else you lose. So oh I had to, gosh. I had to get an attorney. He sued me and a few others. Um, but primarily it was me. The main complaints had to do with phrases that he um, said that I used, which I did on, on the Google reviews. And also by that time I had started a blog um, because I was tired of my Google reviews being removed. So um, after that, he just, yeah, he, he was, he had all these complaints about me. Um, I think 20 something or 30 different <laughs> complaints and my attorney had to refute each one. And, um, you know, to make a long story short, we won, um, you know, oh. in, a, in a defamation lawsuit, um, he has the burden of, is on him to prove True, that, right. that not only did I intentionally lie, yeah. also I did it with malice with the intent to harm yeah. And both yeah. of those have to be met on each little phrase. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, so he had a big he, burden yeah. over, but he was probably hoping you'd bail. I mean, just. Right. Right. Know, I'm sure. I'm sure. Settle something and, and go away, you know? Right. Right. So. That's well, obviously he didn't know me. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. He, he was. Yeah. He didn't know you. You're uh, you're not the kind of person who's just going to put up with that. Most people would. And, well, you know, you said something. <laughs> You said something in there when you when you recognized what was what was going on in the beginning, you know. Oh, you, it's not good to talk about the pastor, and 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 that's such a uh, a good point because it's it's not good to to talk about um, something wrong with a church community in most church communities because um, they tell you, oh, you're gossiping or you know you're being. Mm -hmm divisive or you're rebellious or you know they just start you know blaming you for all this stuff mm -hmm. and so it becomes an environment where you feel like you can't even bring up constructive criticism at all because right. 
Yeah. And that's so, just not healthy at all. It's not healthy. I mean, I could, it's amazing. So moving on, um, you had this happen to you and then you uh, started to realize um, you did a lot of study. It sounded like you just you, you figured out that this is n not uncommon. Is that one of the things that you found out? It's very per pervasive. Right. So after my lawsuit um, went public, um, it, it, uh, you know, the Barbara Streisand effect, it, it just traveled, it went viral. And I got a ton of people visiting my blog. Um, it, it went, the story went around the world on national wow. um, news. I mean, it was crazy. It, and this was all over a weekend when usually things, stories like this kind of get lost in the shuffle. Yeah. But um, yeah, this just took off. And I got inundated with emails and uh, over 500. And I actually responded to everyone. Um, were they were they a mix or mostly positive or what? Well, a, most of them were people saying, good for you. I'm glad you're standing sure. up. Um, yeah. I got from Christians and atheists, quite a lot from atheists. And it, it was through that that I realized a lot of atheists are now atheists because of the harm that they've experienced in churches. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. And it just, you know, it's like, wow, I, there's so much pain um, mm -hmm. that people have experienced in churches. Why is this? Um, why is it so pervasive? And it, it just, it made me realize that, boy, I am certainly not alone in this. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, you know, and I, I've seen it. Uh, I was in the evangelical movement for 25 plus years and uh, I saw it in the beginning and it, it, you, you um, tend to shuffle it under the rug in the beginning and you think, ah, you know, that's, it'll, it'll pass. So that's isolated or, or whatever. And, and I have my theories and I, I talk about them on, on my podcast sometimes. And, and one of the things theories is that why does this happen is one of them is this, there's just, a, it's a fear-based religion that people are following and um, uh, there's a way of viewing the Bible that you have to uh, obey it and follow it in a very um, legalistic way. It's a timeless rule book. Mm. Uh, you know, is it, you know, always wondering, is it biblical? And well, the Bible says, can we do that? Let's check if it's biblical. And so people are always end up looking over everyone's shoulder, making sure you behave right, making sure you believe the right things. And there's that culture. And then once that starts, it just kind of snowballs. And then you've got the church leaders who uh, think they have authority because of one or two verses in the new Testament. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then they, you know, they, they have, a, they, they're supposed to make sure their church is all in line. So that's probably why the pastor is like, okay, you know, some teenager fell. So let's have this big program to make sure everyone's in line. And it's, it's just fear. It's just a lack of trust and, and just fear. And it's just amazing. Um, I, I've often said that, uh, women and the LGBTQ community are the most vulnerable to spiritual abuse. What's your experience with how women are harmed by, you know, some of these conservative Christian teachings and tactics? Oh, and boy. You give some examples. Sure. Well, in my background, I was taught that um, men, uh, men are told that they're responsible for their wives' faith. Um, that's a biggie. Um, yeah. that means, that means that she has no agency 
that everything that she does kind of has to go through her husband. Um, women are seen as inferior or treated as inferior. There's, there's a clear hierarchical. Right. Um, right. And they get that from certain scriptures in the Bible and they take them to the nth degree. It's amazing. Exactly. Um, so, and women are kind of like an, an extension of their husband. Uh, but like I said, with no agency, they, they're like attached, but you know, so they, they just really, um, don't have permission to think for themselves. Right, right. Um, they are not believed when abuse is reported. Um, what I, I hear this all the time. If if there's a situation in which a wife is emotionally, spiritually, physically, financially, whatever, abused by her by her husband, um, and she seeks help from the church. So many times the pastor will say, well, did you submit? Did you submit to him? Right. Yeah. They'll just assume she, it must be because she did something wrong or yeah, that's. Yeah. Did, what did she do that deserved that? I mean, hello, <laughs> does she deserve it ever? Um, so, it, you know, it puts unnecessary burdens on her that shouldn't be there to begin with. Um there, I believe a, a big deal here is the misunderstanding of Paul's, <clears throat> excuse me, the misunderstanding of Paul's epistles when it comes to women in the church. I've done a lot of study on this now, and I have completely changed my mind on um, my understanding be, based on um, looking up from biblical scholars and digging deeper than I ever have before. I always kind of stuck with, you know, well, this is what the Bible says. But when you dig deep and you hear the original language and you look at the culture and you see why things were written, it makes a lot of sense. And for a while there, I was not liking Paul very much because he seemed to be putting constraints on women. But now, after this new understanding that I have, I actually like Paul awful lot in fact he was really about protecting women and freeing women um like let me let me give an example um the the one about the head coverings right uh you know women were protected they had a head covering women belonged to their they were the property of their husbands that's just the way it was culturally the prostitutes um, didn't have a head covering. Um, they did not have protection. And so the head covering meant that they were available, basically sexually available to anybody. But the head covering would protect the wife and say, no, she belongs to her husband. She's. Oh, I see. It's kind of like a almost <laughs> so. So anyway, when it's talking about a head covering in church, um, my new understanding from uh, really reputable biblical scholars is that when they were inviting all to participate in the church, um, a prostitute, a slave wouldn't have a head covering. 
But Paul was saying, no, you need a head covering because he was elevating them. Oh, right. Interesting. So a head covering was elevating them, not diminishing them. Exactly. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, that's that's a very interesting perspective. But if that, you know. I I I I found the same thing, Julie. And um, you know, when you look at the historical cultural context, uh, you get all these new perspectives that you can't see, and we're not taught necessarily to dig that deep. You know, we're taught right. oh, just believe it. God said it. You know, believe right. it. That settles it. Rather than saying, why did he say that, and why is and why is this version have a different word translated than this version, and you know, what's the, what's the background of this? And, and uh, one of the things I discovered um, is that, uh, uh, you know, that verse where he says women aren't allowed to church, speak in church in the first Corinthians uh, version of that, there are scholars, including some evangelical scholars that actually say that was inserted and Paul didn't actually mm. write, it was actually inserted and, and they can show it by looking at certain versions of it you know some of the original versions and how it was inserted in different places and when you take it out it actually the passage makes much more sense it's just kind of thrown in there and it's kind of odd you know so Mm -hmm. there are things like that that we don't realize because we're in churches you're not taught to question i mean right you're taught to uh uh, have um unquestioning obedience uh rather than let's what what Derek Flood calls a faithful questioning of the scriptures. Mm. You know? So that's a great example. I mean, um, and you've also had uh, understanding more about certain strange teachings like the quiverful movement. <laughs> What's that about? Quiverful movement has to do with trusting God with your fertility. So um, a, <laughs> I guess a genuine quiverful mom would not have any birth control whatsoever right? and would, would allow, um, you know, any children that God blessed her with. Um, so they're anti-birth control. Um, they, they look but, at it as a weakness to use birth control. Right. Yeah. But so, but they're not just choosing, I mean, from what I, what I understand, they're not just choosing to do it. They think if they do use birth control and and don't have that attitude that it's sinful. Is that correct? Right, because they're not trusting God. Right. So I mean, I, I've I've had a little bit of encounter with that, and I just remember a group of ladies who were from a church like that, and they were I overheard their conversation. They in a very condescending way, they kind of were looking down at other people who <laughs> didn't think the way they did. You know. Oh, I was they really do. Shocked. I was really shocked. I was like, really? You know. <laughs> oh yeah, they they do. And uh, I have a friend whose husband had a vasectomy, and and she got reprimanded uh, oh, for gosh. that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, he stepped up to the plate, man. Ma. <laughs> <laughs> man he took it like a man right oh my that's amazing it's it's really um it's really sad though because when you look at the the effects of that um you have you have moms who are having so many children and it becomes it can be a health risk it is a health risk to some moms um so some moms will um 
go against their doctors when their doctors say, hey, you do have a real health risk now. You've had this many C-sections. You really shouldn't have any more. And they will say, well, that's just not trusting God. And they'll go ahead and have more. Uh, the other issue is the financial and um, emotional burden that is placed on the mom because usually she's a stay-at-home mom and probably homeschooling. And it's just really hard to keep up with that many kids. Um, you know, if you've got if you've got money and you can afford a, a, a housekeeper and maybe some tutors, yeah, maybe. But most of these moms are not um, in a position to be able to afford that. Yeah, so and it's a so it, there's a big burden on them. Yeah, right. That makes sense. So um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, um, there was this guy named Bill Gothard. And <laughs> when I was uh, a very young believer back in the 80s, I went to his one of his seminars. He was very popular for many years. Uh, he did these huge events with thousands of people. And I went to one in Springfield, Massachusetts. And um, uh, I didn't really know what to think. People were going, oh, Bill Gothard's coming to town. You're a new believer. You should go. And then other people were going, hey, Mike, come here. I'm going to tell you something. And they're kind of like bringing me over to the side and making sure no one else heard what they said. You know, okay, this guy's got some good biblical teaching. Okay, he does. But I want you to be aware of a couple of things. He's very legalistic. You know, he, he taught exactly what you were saying. Women should be under the authority of, of their husbands. And and he just went off the charts with the way he just, you know, he outlined it. And then he said stuff like, all, all rock music is of the devil and is dangerous. Even Christian rock, you know, it's kind of like, okay, that guy, that's going way too far. <laughs> well, it's Mike, Michael, it's the beat. It's the beat. Yes, yes. They said it you was know. the Yeah, oh, well, right. Because so, some missionary <laughs> heard rock music once and said, oh, that's that's the beat of the, the worshippers <laughs> in my tribe that I work with. Oh, right. It's just, I mean, some of these things are that you think, uh, smart people would be a little bit more, you know, nuanced and not so naive about accepting everything. It's just amazing. So um, tell us a little bit about what I was really surprised because I thought that guy went away years ago. And then all of a sudden I heard there was a, a, a documentary about him and he got slapped with, he got in trouble with his board and got fired. Tell us about him. And, and uh, what about this, what I would call a cultic ministry of his? Yeah, he, wow, he is something else. Um, I don't even know where to start with this guy. Um, so he really capitalized on homeschooling families. Right. And he, uh, and, and fathers especially. So he created this um, group called ATI, Advanced Training Institute, um, the, that was like an elite group of people who had already gone through basic seminar, um, which used to be called basic youth conflicts, I believe yeah, it was. The one we went through. Yeah. Right. So they had basic seminar and advanced. By the way, I went to both of those, basic and advanced. But then there was the ATI, which was their homeschool program, and you had to pay for that. Um, what was weird about that? Um, I tried to look, I tried to find their curricula and my friends who were doing that program wouldn't let me look at it. And I was like, something's up here. And so I just got this weird cult like <laughs> feeling about Bill Gothard um, way back. And it's like, 
okay, well, I saved myself there. (laughs) But anyway, um, whatever it was that triggered some warning flag, you know, it definitely was there. Um, But he, through that homeschooling group, um, they would have conferences, you know, the Duggar family, the, um, I don't don't know how many kids they have, but anyway, they were highly influenced, but they did ATI. Um, so anyway, they practiced that quiverful, uh, in fact, Bill, um, at, I think it was at his advanced seminars, he would invite all the people who had vasectomy reversals, um, and their, their children who had been conceived after a reversal stand up or come to the front oh, and all that fear mongering. Oh my gosh. So it's like, you know, these are my kids. If it weren't for me telling you guys to get reversals, these people um, wouldn't be there. Oh, they wouldn't be there. Gosh, and so amazing. that was, that happened all the time parading these kids up in front. Um, so one of the interesting things, um, he would invite, Wait a minute. Was this guy? Was Bill Gothard? He he never married. No, he never married. What about the kids that he 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 didn't uh, father because he didn't get married? <laughs> <laughs> Good point. <laughs> and and you know, it, interestingly yeah, enough, you know, he had all this parenting right, yeah. and he had all the parenting um, ideologies. You know that he was was trying to have these. Oh. Uh, Right. The families the learn. Expert, yeah, he was the Absolutely. Expert, expert in parenting, and he, he didn't have any experience in parenting. Right, I, 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 exactly. I, I know someone like that, too, I worked with. <laughs> Isn't that something? Yeah. But for you know, some reason, he was able, again, he's a charismatic guy. He was able to uh, get a following. I mean, have you seen pictures of the crowds of people that would attend his seminars? It was yeah, amazing. I went, I went to one of them. It was the... Um, it was it was like a you know the size of a basketball arena you know this whatever, yeah. fifteen thousand twenty thousand people you know oh right? yeah yeah so anyway he had different groups that would come to his headquarters by the way I um, when I was in Chicago and was interviewed for a documentary I took a I said I have to go see the headquarters and I went snooped around and I went down this little this road and um, yeah it was kind of creepy but just thinking about this was the place where so many young people um, worked like slaves Um, they did not get paid Uh, they worked and were sleep deprived and um, Bill had a he hand selected specific young girls uh, to work for him in close proximity so, and they all had, you know, this curly or wavy hair. I can't remember, you know, maybe it was this, the time when perms were in or whatever, but they all had a, a specific look, um, mm-hmm. his, his special girls. And he had uh, sexual fetishes um, and, you know, like putting his foot on another young lady. Uh, and we're talking minors here. Um, and oh, wow. Yeah. And yeah he just crossed some boundaries um, that should not have been crossed. And so there was a lawsuit um, and then it's, it's still ongoing. It's, it hasn't been resolved completely, but that's because Bill keeps dragging it out. And yeah. 
and he's making the the you know he's making them have to get um pay attorney fees and and everything it's just really difficult um but he's he's a control freak and he's making life difficult for people is is what he's doing yeah control freak that that is a you know um church i've often said is kind of like a a magnet for control freaks you know if you're a control yeah. freak man you get yourself into leadership in a church man we got a bible in one hand and you're you know and your your uh charismatic personality in the other and you're just like wow you can really control people and you play on cloud nine <laughs> right exactly <laughs> yeah but uh that's 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 amazing what was the name of the documentary that they did on him oh shoot why did you ask me this um oh, i'm sorry I, I don't know if I could think of it right off the hand. I, I, I think I've I, done a couple documentaries. Um, yeah, I remember seeing it before. Um, oh, wait. Cult Next Door? Yeah, Does that sound it. like it? I think that's it. The Cult Next Door. Right. Something like that. Yeah, right. So you were actually interviewed for that? Yeah, just it was brief. Um, you know, again, I was not a part of the, you know, um, part of this culture i was a participant you, in two of the seminars oh you um, yeah but you came in as a kind of a, a expert on spiritual abuse and stuff right to kind of right be, right because i have been working with um several of the victims and i know right. quite a oh, few families yeah. who have been involved with ati and because i yeah because i i spend so much time you know researching spiritual abuse and okay um, i see yeah it was the like cult, the cult next door and, and it was made in 2017 okay yeah. yeah i was really surprised to see that cuz i thought that guy went away a long time ago and i was like what he's still around and then it was you know i was also shocking to see what happened but not surprising. I mean, this is, I mean, oh, I could tell you so many stories. Well, uh, there was, uh, I mean, there was a young a pastor, or not a young, a middle-aged pastor in our community a few years ago. He never married, and um, he ended up uh, abusing little girls in the church and finally got exposed. And, you know, the um, the church uh, denied it at first they, they, because only the elders knew, and they wouldn't mm. tell the rest of the church. And so all the church members were defending him naively, not realizing. And then, then it came out that he actually confessed and so forth. But anyways, wow. that's another story. But just that the, these, you know, when, you, when you look into what, what's going on, you can see patterns. And, and that's one of the patterns. Right. And let me just um, explain something here, because when you speak about a cult, a lot of times we're thinking about a cult that's confined to a specific um, place like a you know a leader in a and and the people are all right there now when I'm speaking about a cult um, environment with Gothard it's a little bit different because what you have is a man who has taught this ideology to many men the heads of homes you know that what he calls and basically the way I view it is that families become cult-like underneath his teachings. So oh. essentially the father of a family could be a cult leader 
in their own in their own home if that makes uh, sense well yeah no it, it makes perfect sense i'd seen it uh i was on a missionary team where <laughs> that dynamic was there and there was one powerful control controlling leader who had the, that personality so you know uh th that that does resonate and for for you know like yeah you you say most people think of a cult of a group you know over here that goes to south america eventually and you know <laughs> drinks kool-aid <laughs> drinks kool-aid and predicts the end of the world but it it's it could be much more subtle than that it could be right where it could be a a, a movement where it, the 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 um cultic like uh, personalities are replicated in different areas and and so forth so yeah that, when you when you listen to adult the uh, children who are now adults who were raised in that environment, um, you definitely can see that, oh yeah, this was cult-like. And it, especially as they leave, as they leave their family, um, many times they're shunned, just like a cult. Many times the parents just won't have anything to do with their children because they've questioned authority, because they don't want to follow in the same practices. Right. So yeah, it's, it really can be cult-like. Yeah, and it's it's a um, an uh, an us versus them mentality. You look at the whole world, and if you're not one of us, you're one of them. And right. they don't like, they don't like dissent. They don't like disagreement. Um, they think unity is um, you know everyone agreeing on everything, <laughs> rather than you know just you know just having a heart for one another and, and letting people be themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it, yeah, it gets replicated all, all over the place. Um, so um, one of the things I wanted to interject before I forget, when you talked about like um, in the very beginning, first couple questions that you said something about people who um, uh, they're, uh, oh, your friend who thought, oh, maybe I'm not saved, right? Mm, yeah. Was that that I forgot what you said. There was some guy who was speaking. Oh, it was the call. There was the pastor, right? right? Pastor Chuck or whatever his name is. Yep. You, know, you you teach that that fear mongering uh, of like, oh, there's something wrong with you. You're depraved. You're terrible. You're even even people who've you know been saved, supposedly saved for years and years, can come under that and feel like, oh, maybe I'm, you know, maybe I need to recommit or maybe I'm not saved or maybe <laughs> I right. need to, you know, dig in deeper. And it's, it's, it's just, it's so detrimental because all you're doing is, it's like you're walking on eggshells and you're always doing something wrong. You got to turn around Ex and pray. Exactly. And fast, and, you know, so you're, I remember you're never free. Yeah. yeah. You're, you, you've yeah. never arrived. You've never arrived. And yeah. And so um, I remember, going to promise keepers do you remember promise keepers? oh yeah yeah so i went to two of them and, and i'd say one of them was actually not bad because they were trying to get people to repent from racism so i mm -hmm. thought that was kind of good because i thought we needed that but but the other one that i went to here in uh, tacoma uh, about 20 years ago um I re i'll never forget this the guy who did the sermon uh, i don't know who it was but he just did this drama thing with Jesus carrying the cross and he just made you so feel so guilty mm. that people in my church that I was involved with at that time who were like, you know, squeaky clean. I mean, that's just the, you know, typical 
uh, you know, dedicated Christian who've been for years and years and years, you know, people were going down to get saved. And they were, it was like, I was like, man, this is like weird. It's like, yeah. it, 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 it was, it, it would, it, you, you had to jump through so many hoops. Right. And, and there was another hoop. And by golly, if I, this guy made me feel terrible, I must, you know, I must be feeling the Holy Spirit and I must have to go down and, and give my life to Christ again or something, you know? So I, I just, I just remembered that when you were sharing that, it was like, um, it's part of the, um, the, uh, the drive, you know, you're always on your toes, making sure that you're spiritually in tune, et cetera, et cetera. It can be very tiresome and, and, uh, burn you out. Oh, so, yeah. so, um, what about, what are you, th- what are your thoughts about the root of all this? What's the root of spiritual abuse in the church today or one of the roots? Well, um, w- one of the things that I've definitely noticed and, and, um, s- psychology even confirms it is that, um, I saw a study that said, out of the top 10 professions for narcissists, uh, pastors are in the, in the top 10. Yeah. So right. um, narcissism and the need to be in control. That's, yep. control you know, for, when, yep. when you have the desire to have people living in fear and what you're doing is leaving uh, or um, instilling a uh, environment of fear that that's all about, being the need to be in control. Right. That's all about control. Right. Yeah. Cause you want people to, you know, be in fear and then you've got the solution. So <laughs> they come to you. Right. The and that's the narcissism, you know, right. yeah. because you have all the answers. You have all the answers. It kind of reminds me of one of our top politicians right now. I mean, oh, really? <laughs> the narcissist <laughs> in chief, right? <laughs> you know, so he's got to be the best of everyone and he's got to have all, you know, you know, uh, that's one of the things that there, years ago, there was this book uh, written called Toxic Faith. Did you oh, ever, I have that. Yep. Yeah. That, was, that one, that one helped me among many other books uh, to get well and to get to heal. But yeah, it's that faith where, you know, someone claims, you know, we've got the insight or I've got, you know, the insight and no one else does, or very few people do, or you got to be in our movement to get the right thing. And, you know, right. It's that, you know, us versus them. And, and then the, the, the leaders, they kind of rise up. And like you said, uh, they, um, they're nar- often narcissists and, and just, they just thrive on it. And then they, they just do it. It snowballs until it gets worse. Right. So, so what, what, anything else that comes to mind about root causes? Well, th- th- to me, those are the key ones. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I would, I would just add that you know when you get that uh, type of person and you have a theology that's a very legalistic way of looking at the Bible, and um, you know, uh, uh, believing things that you you know, you, the, the non-negotiables are very narrow, et cetera, then it's just kind of a, an environment that's perfect for those people to step in and to, and to take control. So absolutely. Yeah. So um, what about, you know, what we can do to help people? Um, 
how do you how do you expose spiritual abuse in churches and get people to see that hey this is might be subtle but it's there and and we need to address it this is this is a really uh difficult uh thing to discuss because in we want to expose um harmful things but the reality is if somebody is going to a harmful church where there's an abusive pastor they do not want to hear that <laughs> they don't want to hear that they are a part of that uh, because it's it's a poor reflection on them and their discerning um, abilities you know so what i have come to the realization um is that it it's really not so beneficial to be telling people oh your pastor is abusive the best way that i have found to help somebody is to share your personal story there's something oh, right yeah. there is something very very powerful about your personal story when we are telling our stories as we're listening we're trying to find places where we connect with that story and it, we just do this naturally, you know, like when we meet somebody, where do you, where are you from? You're trying to, you're trying to find where you connect. What do you do for, to, for a living? Um, you know, what kind of music do you like? You know, you're, when you get that commonality, ah, got that connection. The same thing with personal stories. So if you can explain as, as uh, an experience where you were harmed in church and it resonates with you, it's like the light bulb can go off. And it's so it's in other words, you're not preaching to that person. It's not, it's not a personal attack on them or their exactly. Church. It's your it's story. Exactly. They deny it, but they could make connections and go, oh, that kind of sounds like X or Y in my church. Right. 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 So the right. light bulb goes off right. and then they so they yeah. are thinking for themselves. Right. And they and that is so important. Um yeah. because in in the fear mongering churches, you can't think for yourself. But no, in, right. right. But when you're listening to somebody else's story and you make that connection and come to that conclusion, um, that will leave a question mark in their in their minds. And hopefully, someone else will tell a story. It, you know, it it might prompt them to start searching. Um, yeah, that makes sense. It, yeah, and that's what happened for me. I was, in fact, I was reading Sovereign Grace Ministry Survivor blog, and yes, right. I kept, I kept on looking at the top of the page, saying, "Wait, this is not Beaverton Grace. <laughs> this is. It sounds just like Beaverton Grace Bible Church. I don't get it. I mean, right. they were the stories were so similar, and the thing is, though, is that that's when the pattern. The Sovereign, Exactly. So the the thing is that the Sovereign Grace churches, they were uh, the the personal stories, they were identifying it as abuse. And so I was like, oh, so wait a minute, I experienced something like that, but they're calling it abuse. So maybe what I experienced was abuse. You see what I'm saying? It's it's just it's a process. And it's just amazing how personal stories work. And that's why on my blog, I, I love it when People want to share their story because um, it's it's not only beneficial for them, it's really helpful to process what you went through. And I find that survivors need to process it a lot. Um, right. But also right. it helps other people who are 
coming and, and reading the story and finding their connections as well. Right. So it's yeah. mutually beneficial. Right. Yeah, that, that reminds me, I forgot to ask about Sovereign Grace, but just, um, I mean, that, that they that church denomination, there was sexual abuse going on and they were covering it up. Yeah. And they, and, and really it was, um, the, the, the basis behind it was, Hey, we, we're Christians. We'll handle it biblically. Don't call the police, you know, <laughs> you know, right. that's gossip. Don't talk among there. They were trying to control the situation so much because they thought they were following the Bible and then it backfired because they weren't, the victims felt like, they weren't being heard. They were forced to being to, to forgive, and when they weren't ready, and they were thrown in. That they let the the abusers get back into church right away, and they, you know, it's just there's a it it, it it there's a lot there. But uh, is that is that blog still going on or or what? I, yeah, I, it I, it I, is all the time. Yeah, so it I'm is curious. still going. Um, it's there's SGM uh, survivors dot com. Survivors dot com. Okay, SGM survivors. Yeah. It's, if you want a lesson in how what this is like, you go on there and you read some of the stories. So um, we're kind of running out of time, but um, uh, I thought we were just starting. Oh yeah, right, right, right. Well, actually, we could go on. We could do part two. I usually like to go about an hour, so you know, we could do, we could come back and do part two sometime, right? Yeah, that'd be fine. Yeah, sure. Maybe we could come up with some other questions. Well, but, I felt like we just began to scratch the surface. I know. It is true. It is true. But I liked what you said about stories. I'm also reminded that when I looked in, I, I went looked into Mark Driscoll's Mars Hill uh, debacle because you know in Seattle that Mar Mars Hill Church was in the news every two or three months on the major oh, yeah. network news. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh, and yeah. you're like, whoa, I, you know, I, so you kind of look into it and I turned out my neighbor went to that church and then I did my own research and I found the stories of the, the elders who were kicked out and abused and they put their stories on another website, a yeah. survivor blog. Yeah. And those stories, I actually asked my neighbors, I told them, I said, you know what, I've, I have a lot of experience in churches, and I did some research, and I, I just want to tell you that your church has got some problems, and I, you know, I did the, what you told me, not what you said, <laughs> that doesn't work, right, but the, the woman in the marriage, she was like, yeah, I, I, I could see that, right, but the man was very persistent, but when I showed, when I gave them some stories, and I said, you know, would you mind reading this? You know, maybe I'm wrong, but see what someone in your, your denomination actually said. Right. And, they, and then they started to, to get it very slowly. And they finally did leave the church. So thank God. Was, yeah. So anyways, that, that does work. The stories do work. And the other thing I want to say is that um, when people, people don't usually change uh, when they're, uh, unless you're in your formative years, when you're still trying to figure out things in a teenager, early twenties, mid twenties, you don't typically change once you get to be an adult, you're just kind of stuck in your ways, mm. unless there's something very painful or something yes. very emotional that happens to you. So when people get, you know, abused to a degree where they go, man, this is painful. That's then they start, sometimes they'll start rethinking usually they'll try to find a better church and go oh that you know but then if it happens again they might think oh man there's a pattern here maybe i should what i believe is not working maybe i should rethink it you know that kind of mm -hmm. thing 
Right. So anyways, um, I think part of it is, uh, you know, uh, doing what you and you have a coworker there, uh, Kathy. Tell, Kathy. Tell us about Kathy. Yeah. Well, Kathy lived in um, lives in Beaverton. And so we were living in the same city at the same time and didn't realize it. Um, she was she found my story because it was on the local news and started following my blog. And um, I, I we eventually met. I'm when the lawsuit happened or when I started my blog, I was living four hours away in Southeast Washington. So um, whenever I'd come to Portland, um, you know, one time we met for coffee and um, you know, the rest is history. Uh, right. she, cool. She's great. She's got uh, a social work history uh, or training. And also she's an advocate um, at the Beaverton police department. Um, volunteer of the year so she's she does such great work has such uh, insight um and it also has some spiritual stuff that she's gone through as well so i love love her to pieces and it's great to have her well yeah i, th- I think it's great that because you because you know you, it's not all on your shoulders you've got another person to kind of um you know drive discussions and and blocks. oh yeah oh so. yeah and then there's brad who's behind the scenes and he's, oh i see Brad Sargent. Yeah. He's been in the um, spiritual abuse, you know, community for years, uh, um, survivor plus uh, a researcher. And he's writing a, um, a workbook that should be fantastic. All right. Uh, But yeah, I run things off um, him all the time as well. He's wonderful. Great friend. All right. Well, we're going to wrap things up here. Um, Your blog is spiritual sounding board.com, right? Yep. Yep. And then you have a Facebook page. If you just go spiritual sounding board in Facebook, you'll find it. That's got some really cool stuff. So folks out there, um, if you want to learn more about this, go to Julianne's and Kathy's website, spiritual sounding board and Facebook page. If you've uh, had an experience where you think you were spiritually abused, these, these uh, locations will help you. Uh, they're very therapeutic. Read some stories and, and find out what people are saying and maybe discover a way to be healed and also maybe a, a different way of looking at the Jesus path that's not so um, controlling and legalistic and narrow, mm-hmm. but something that's really uh, – uh, my big thing is um, you know looking at history uh, to get – to get foundation. And when you look at history, like you were saying, the historical and cultural context, things come to light Mm. and uh, there's healing in that because you get a a different paradigm that uh, is often almost sometimes just the opposite of what we're taught in modern churches, but it can really help you. So anyways, thanks Julianne for joining us today. And uh, we'd love to have you on another time. Sure. Anytime. Yeah. So, um, as I always do when we sign off, uh, until next time, I'm trying to get some more interviews. Uh, hopefully, I'm going to be interviewing an atheist uh, pretty soon, Seth Andrews, perhaps. Um, I've been looking for some other interviewees. Uh, 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 so if you um, if you know anyone who's good to interview, let me know, Julianne. If you oh, have sure. But, yeah. yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll sign off until next time. So enjoy responsibly. Thank you. The Spiritual Brew Pub Podcast will help you navigate spiritually after or during a belief shift, deconstruction, or crisis of faith. 
not to try to convert you to a particular destination, but give you the resources you need to evaluate your future belief or unbelief and help you follow the religious historical evidence wherever it leads. I'm your host, Michael Camp, a recovering conservative evangelical, the operative word being recovering, sharing my journey in helping others rebuild faith or a reasoned philosophy of life. So grab your brew of choice and learn how fact-based history helps us both critique and rethink faith. Why do we call it a brew pub? Because we like to hang out in them, at least metaphorically. A pub is a great place to let your hair down, share your true thoughts about your journey, and discuss things with an open mind in a non-judgmental environment.